0: Welcome to Never Rewrite. I'm Isaac Askew.
1: And I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And today we're going to talk about becoming an expert in your company's business. Or as I like to say it, the can you teach your company's business to the other developers test? So Isaac, since it's my topic, why do you, why should you become an expert in your company's business?
0: Uh, there's a few reasons I can think of for me. Um, one of them is you kind of you end up building better features, better things. And by better, I don't mean like code quality, which, you know, developers tend to think code quality. I mean, hopefully code quality as well, cause you want to do a good job. Uh, but better is in like, you're solving the right problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, um, I recently worked, worked on this, uh, text to pay program at my current job and it's, uh, sending SMS texts out to people that have a link to their bill. And then they can follow that to securely access their bill and pay their bill. And it was a new feature rolled out um, back in April. And uh, at first, I just worked on it because I saw the acceptance criteria and saw, oh, we're, we're doing text to pay now. We're sending these links out. Um, and then after talking to a few people, I realized one of the people we were selling to uh, is like an urgent care clinic. Mm. And they want to use us to send the texts out so people can view their bills and pay online. And the first question is like, um, like, again, like the first thing you do a lot of times is, as a developer is you go, okay, <laughs> let's build it. <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> um, build it. Because like, that's, that's the developer mindset. It's like, I, I like to engineer things. That sounds like a cool problem. What kind of things can we use to solve the problem? Right. Um, but then if you stop and ask, okay, why are we building it again? Like what's, what's the main problem? Then you get to dig a little bit further. And the obvious problem that sticks out is people think, okay, well, it sounds like they want to text people instead of mail people bills. And that sounds like a reasonable problem to solve, but tell me more. And as we jumped on a call with some of the partners and chatted about it, uh, they spend a ton of money, tens of thousands of dollars a year, year, Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, mailing people, printing bills, mailing them to them sending reminders to those people if they don't pay their bills on time. Uh, Some of those bills might get lost in the mail or not go to the correct address or not forward to the correct address that the people have moved. Um, So the problem being solved there is, hey, if we can find a way to text people, they might pay faster. We collect the money faster uh, and we save money. We save money by not having to have somebody keep printing paper, uh, especially the paper that never makes it to the right place. Um, And if we can find a way to pay somebody X amount for the text program, and that's cheaper than our paper program and more successful, then we'd be okay with that. And that kind of highlights a lot of things. Uh, For example, you can think of, oh, okay, we were sending all these bills out and some of them we couldn't send because we didn't have phone numbers. To these people. We just had a bill, but it was missing their phone number. We, they didn't click the phone number or something in the um, inpatient form or whatever. And then so we can find ways to reach out and better that feature by going, okay, how can we find a way to, to get more data about the patient in, in a legal way, you know, compliant way, and reach out and, and mail them. That makes your success rate go up. We can send more of those texts instead of the bills and everybody's happy. So knowing how you're making money in that regard is uh, helpful because you can actually build the right thing instead of expanding other, like, oh, let's send the text faster or let's, you know, make it more scalable in this regard. And this helps you target the next big thing is right. what's the, what's the eligible population for these bills.
1: Right. That's a great call out of once you've got the basic thing, the next feature is not how do we make the bill pay f- easier or send text messages faster. It's how do we improve our, phone number collection rate so that we can actually send more text messages.
0: Right. It's working on the right thing, to right. put it simply.
1: Right. Because sending them faster or being more efficient with fewer errors, that's great. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are wonderfully technical things, so you should do those. But it's not not going to help you actually move the needle for your customers.
0: Yeah. And if, if you're a developer that really gets caught up in the intricacies or just like Who's very curious about those other problems like, oh, how, oh I, I know a really great way we could send this faster because I did a similar problem in a different <laughs> job. Yeah. You can really easily get swept up in your fascination with that part of the problem. And you're not really, you know, you're not really helping out the customer in general. Like if, if you maybe saved a minute from a text message being sent, you, you, it's cool. Good job for knowing yep. how to do that. But nobody really cares until it was a problem. Like if it was delayed a day, <laughs> uh, that would be a problem. Right. So you just need to make sure you're working on the right problem.
1: Well, in this instance, probably being delayed a day still wouldn't matter because it's still going to be faster than physical mail. Sure. Yeah. Right. And that that's the goal that they're trying to replace. Yeah. So those are, that's a great example of of why it's important to know and be able to explain your company's business model of just Give It gives you the clarity and the ability to judge, you know, a lot of what you should do next or mm-hmm. even have intelligent discussions during the design phase of, oh, well, you know, it's a text message and we should send a text message and it'll have a link. Like, you know, knowing that it's, it's about payment and, you know, all the things that you can and can't show, right? Like a lot of bill pays that come in, I know in my when I pay the bills it's a lot of them just ask for an account number and they will, you know, you don't have to log in or anything. They'll just let you pay. They're, they're happy to take anybody's money to pay the bill. The guest checkout. Yeah. Yeah. The guest checkout. And right. So then the, you very, you need to make sure that you're not showing anything other than, you know, and a lot of them don't even show the balance because it's like, well, I don't know who you are. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to take your money and apply it to this account. <laughs> right. Everything else is PHI. P- yeah, so PHI. Let you or P- let you show everything. But this one was oh, no. protected health information. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you, you've got it.
0: Technically yes. the same or similar, similar concept. So yeah, you have to protect that. Yes. Even more protected. Do not, <laughs> do not screw
1: up. Um, and I like the framing of it. Of can you actually teach us to the other developers? Because throughout my career, I've sort of always instinctually gone to learn the business model, Mm -hmm. uh, to the point of like reading textbooks, uh, about (laughs) when I worked in finance, I would, (laughs) uh, when I worked in finance, I mostly worked, uh, on a stock exchange effectively. And so I read literally the college textbook about how stock exchanges work and why they work the certain way and what's going on. And so then I was able to have very intelligent conversations with like the product people and often point was able to demonstrate to them, like the, Hey, you didn't think about these other side effects that are really important that if we make these changes, um, but it going forward of, so it's important and it's great to explain it to your fellow developers. Mm -hmm. Just, you will seem magical because you know so much about, (laughs) no, it's true. Like you, if you're able to walk into a business and they're like, Oh well or into a meeting and like, well, we need this product and you're able to, you know, talk about the edge cases that aren't even on the, the thing because you know how the business actually works, you will seem magical. And it's not magical, it's just that you did your I hate you to say your do research. Your research. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We had uh in in the same vein of that program, we had a similar thing happen. Um <clears throat> we did something called uh reconciliation files. Um And reconciliation files in this case were whenever we sent out all the text messages and we had people click them or not click them. um, Some like after we get after we send that bulk out, we needed to let the uh, the nursing care clinic know which ones we were successfully uh, sending, um, Mm -hmm. which ones were able to get paid, which ones were ignored. That way, they could take whatever uh, was given back to them and send them to the paper printers. Because if we couldn't send a text message to those people, we call it like a day zero file. If if your first file, like if you if you try to drop a bunch of bill statements to us and we can't send to 10% of them, we need to get back to you immediately and say, here's 10%. We didn't even attempt because we don't mm-hmm. have a correct number um, or other things that we need. Uh, and they needed that file back. That way they could immediately send them to the printers. Um, in the same regard, they wanted to know after we sent the bills out, like, well, they wanted to know if they clicked the text message and loaded it and there wasn't really an easy way to to tell if they saw the text message. Yeah, there's no it. read receipt
1: on text messages.
0: Right. And so it's a little bit different I and mean, we're trying to like understand is they were thinking is that something equivalent to like if you sent somebody in the mail a bill and they didn't get it or they just didn't open it or is it mm-hmm. like can we can we just not send them a te- a, a printable letter because they We just assume they didn't read it, even though there could have been a deliverability problem. And so the safe answer is no, let's not assume that. Let's send it. But let's add some kind of flag. If they land on the bill page from the link, we can flag it as they've seen the bill, so to speak. And then we'll kind of like give them some data back. Mm -hmm. But at first, they were just saying, you know, let's build this thing. We need some kind of receivables package to know who did what. And it was very vague. And it wasn't until we got hopped on a call with the partners and, and discussed this whole problem with them, as I've detailed to you just now, that we realized, oh, okay, we can find ways to incorporate that viewed check on our end, come up with a different package then let them know all the people who, A, we couldn't send to to begin with,
1: mm-hmm. B,
0: we sent and they clicked it and landed. We can confirm they, they viewed at least some part of their bill and see all the other people that we say we sent to, but for some reason they just we can't really prove they sent it. So maybe we should be careful and include them in the, uh, the, the receivables or the, um the, uh, the other, the other package to like send, right. send out the, for paper statements.
1: You could have the right phone number. You could have sent the text message and they could have set their settings to ignore unknown numbers and they never saw. it.
0: Right. Exactly. And so we weren't thinking about that and we would have just kept building features that could send messages out to people, you know, uh, and, you know, assume that they saw the bill and be like, yeah, these are the, these are the people that definitely saw the bill because we, we, we proved that we texted them using our third party vendor.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then those people actually never get uh, sent to printer and they never get their bills. They never saw their bill through text. They never saw their bill through paper. And then maybe eventually they go to collections to get really angry because we're like, we tried <laughs> to send you a bill and you all you ignored it. And like, I never got those things. So I you have to be to really once. careful. <laughs> right. I got <laughs> so whenever, whenever that, I, was, I was like, what are you talking about? Collections guy. <laughs> Right. So if mm-hmm. we hadn't have talked to the partner and understood their problem, then we wouldn't have uh, built the right thing. We would have just kept building other features or or, or targeting other, you know, other things. Good sounding things thing, that like, were whatsoever. the wrong thing. Right. Okay.
1: So hopefully we've convinced you to, <laughs> that you should become an expert in, in how your company works and how it makes money. How do you go about it? So... If you're working for a large, like Fortune 500 company, or sorry, if you're working for a public company, the SEC, the Securities uh, Exchange Commission, um, actually mandates that every year a company files something called a 10K, which Mm -hmm. is an earnings statement and all blah, 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 blah. But it also has guidance from all the leaders, like the C-suite, about how they think the company's doing, how they think the market is doing, what they think are the big challenges coming up and, and the changes. And you can, you know, it's public information. It's a great thing you could read and hear, and well, not here, but you can read it and, and see what the CEO and the CFO and everyone else is saying. Like, what are the upcoming challenges? Like if you, like a lot of beer companies right now have put out their things and it's like, yeah, we're, we're seeing a continued decline in beer consumption. <laughs> but but we're seeing an you know an increase in uh, hard seltzer consumption, you know they right. kind of think it's going to uh, level out or not level up but you know offset. But if you're just making beer, you might be in trouble. Right, and so you know they'll talk about why they're moving into seltzers, and that's a great you know there you go. If you're a beer maker and you're like why why are we doing all this seltzer
0: nonsense? Seltzers not beer. <laughs>
1: Well, it's because people are drinking seltzer and they're drinking less beer.
0: Yeah, and if, if you keep your head down the entire time and you're not aware of those changes of your business or, or why they're making those changes or why you need to pivot, then you can see you're going to be in trouble. Like, uh, it it kind of reminds me of a, similar, like a previous episode where we talked about like, AI getting better at understanding mm-hmm. stories and tasks and the, some developers just wanting to be, put their head down. And be like, I just want to code. I don't want to think about the customer problem. I want all the product people to digest that into stories for me. Right. Like, then what use are you to use the most valuable part of your skill set, which is to you know detect patterns as a human being, which is very valuable and, and and robots can't do very well. We need you know your input here. So detect the pattern of your company's uh, bottom line being affected because of changes to you know how how you're making money, which could right. in that case be. People pivoting to seltzer. You don't sell seltzer. You're losing money, and then you know your developer who's not paying attention. Be your uh, brewer in this case, their job goes their job goes away. <laughs> right. Yeah. In right. this example, it would yeah. be your brewer who yeah just wants to
1: make beer, and that's great. Exactly. Wants to make great beer, the best beer. And you're like, but dude, we need to, or ma'am, we need to expand into diversify. seltzer. Yeah. Right. We need right. to diversify. Yeah. It, I understand you want to make sel- you want to make the best beer possible? And. Mm-hmm. Just side note, I've been homebrewing beer for over 20 years, which is why I've actually paid attention to these things in my learning. And like, yeah, you it's not about you and what you want to do, and you could totally stay heads down. But what's going to happen is the owner of the company is going to come say, look, we need to start brewing seltzer. And you're not going to know why. And you're not going to have... Mm-hmm be able to discuss it intelligently.
0: We about it will be blindsided about like, where did what, this come from? Like, what, uh, we're a brewery. About what, what, what is, what's seltzer? <laughs> we've been talking about this for three months at our company meetings, man. Like <laughs> you weren't paying attention.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so to bring it back, read the 10 Ks of your company and your competitors mm-hmm. just for you know context, see what they're thinking about. Uh, and if you're in a smaller company, like statistically, most of us are in smaller not public companies remember like the the c-suite people are in those companies are not these grand imperious people often ivory towers in different Mm -hmm. buildings so that they're not you know getting mixing with the unwashed plebs you probably don't see like the cfo very (laughs) often but you could go ask the cfo or email them or you know chat them hey uh could you explain our business model for me so that i you know tell them like I want to understand how we make money so that I can make better decisions. And every CFO that I've ever talked to, (laughs) of which is, I guess, a group of five, so not a huge set, but 100% of the CFOs that I've ever talked to were so happy that a developer came knocking on their door and wanted to know more about the business and how
0: finance worked at the business company. You were almost guaranteed to make those people's day. I've had the same experience. In fact, even the CEO at my current company, when I first joined, he he was like excited to join. He he just called me on my phone. and was like, <laughs> let's talk about it. <laughs> you know, like because I, I feel like there's like a natural filtering of people who are like intimidated and scared to ask those level of people. So they don't talk to as many people maybe in the company as they should. They're probably talking to a lot of other people or trying to make, you know, the CEO is probably talking to like investors or you know, other things like that. So talking mm-hmm. to their own people in the company who are like actually curious and they want to make the products better is only a good thing for them. They're like, Oh, great. <laughs> right. I get to, you know, talk about this idea, share it with them. And, my developers making great decisions to make my company even more resilient. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then the same thing usually applies to the CTO. Uh, I found slightly more hesitation from CTOs just because they're used to managing people. And so they wonder what agenda you might be bringing to the conversation. Uh, Interesting. (laughs) They're still generally happy to tell you. uh, Well, I've worked with a few that were not good and didn't really have a plan. And so you asking seemed threatening uh, or me asking seemed threatening, or maybe I just asked in a threatening manner. Either one (laughs) of those is possible. Uh, But, you know, the CTO should have an idea of how, the business makes money and how all the work in technology furthers that you know especially if you're working right. in a technology company you know if you're working in a non-technology company where you know if you're making physical things right then, then certainly it is a major piece but maybe it's less critical and so you know the cto might just say well, our job is to keep the machines running and, you know, keep downtime. You know, just keep everything going. We're not really making. You know, we're not part of the money making scheme. We're just infrastructure. And that's I feel like that's uninformed.
0: To... Hmm? I feel like they should. I feel like even even CTOs in this area should be just as informed. And be and be able to, to explain the business model as well.
1: Well, I'm, I'm struggling to conceive of a company that would have a CTO and developers and that mentality. Right? Like if you've got a, I don't know, if you're, if your company is purely a physical manufacturing plant, then you probably have a CIO, right? And you, mm, okay. and you have yeah. people, you you have maintenance people who keep the machines running and you have IT people who keep the, you know, software running and fix computers and stuff, but you wouldn't really have developers. So you shouldn't be listening to the show people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so talking to people, um... As a side note, it, knowing how the business works, uh, i found does often make you – it helps you align with the business, but what I find – and developers are often wildly unaligned to the business, you know, where going back to your example, if you kept making the text messages better and you weren't making the you know, delivery issue more observable you'd be misaligned, right? You'd be, right. you'd be doing reasonable work, but you would be totally misaligned. Um, and I find that as you learn more about the business product, people are the other group that also tends to get misaligned, right? Developers get misaligned because they fall in love with technology and mm-hmm. all these great things that they could do with it, which don't actually add value. Unfortunately, right. you know, the, optimizing your algorithm usually doesn't add much value. Sadly, because there's optimization, so awesome. Product people also tend to fall into this trap because they think about all the cool features that a product could have, and they lose sight of whether or not those features are actually valuable or create Mm -hmm. value to the customers. And so, one thing that you could that you might start noticing as you learn more about the the company business is you might start banging heads a bit with product people. Because you are coming at it in the same way that product people will be like, I don't care if you use Kafka or not. You're going to come back to product people will be like, it, we really don't need to redesign this form because it doesn't matter.
0: Right. And then
1: the product people are like, oh, but look, it's going to have this grand new layout and it's going to be you know the latest and greatest. It doesn't matter. Yep. Um. So that's it. That's the uh, you know, and then the true test is: can you explain the company business model to other developers in a way that they understand and get excited? Um, Should we leave it there, or should we go on? I could tell some stories about odd business models I've seen, but I think we've been going a little long.
0: Uh, If you got a quick anecdote, let's uh, let's hear it. All right, Uh, I will
1: go with. When I first started working all those decades ago, uh, I worked for a company called Island ECN and it, effectively Island was a an exchange for the, a stock exchange it was one of the first fully digital high frequency trading exchanges and it came up with a very interesting business model to get off the ground because the problem any of these exchanges have is people want to trade stocks where other people are trading stocks, because that's where the in an efficient market, the more people are trading, the faster prices will converge on whatever the real price is. This is all stock market mm. theory. And so it's hard for any new come new one to be an up and comer because, you know, it's the network effect. Everyone is buying and selling on NASDAQ because everyone's on NASDAQ. Right.
0: And if
1: you want them to buy and sell through you, you need to give them a compelling reason. And so they invented this amazingly insane business strategy uh, where they would pay people to put orders on the system. Because, and this makes complete sense if you've read the college textbook of market theory, because what the people in the pits, right? If you go back to a, a 1980s Wall Street movie and you see people in the pits and they're making all these hand gestures and they're yelling and screaming, they're not really buy, They are buying and selling stocks as a way to sell liquidity. To them, buying and selling isn't really what they're doing. I mean, that's the actions that they are taking. Mm-hmm. But what their the name of their game is they are selling the ability to buy and sell stocks to other people, and they make money off of that. Right. And so, if you want to create a new stock exchange, and you need to get those people, you, you need to get. The thing that limits you is that the ability to trade. And so if you're willing to pay people to put their orders on your system, you are, you're de-risking it for them in a large way. Because look, if I'm a buy, sell, right? My job is I'm buying and selling to create the ability to trade, which is what I'm really making my money on here. Mm -hmm. We're going to sell you, right? We'll pay you to do that on our system. So it's, you know, you can double end it. And then if you act, then we bill you to take orders off. So if you get if you execute, you pay us, and if you just put the order on, we pay you if you if you execute.
0: Oh, okay. Until they become big enough to where they don't need that kind of model anymore.
1: Well, that that model continues today.
0: There was a new model. Okay. I thought it was just to make that that one more popular to get to pull people off.
1: It it did, but you yeah. no one it changed the way the stock exchanges worked ah, okay. Ah, uh, because now everyone has to follow that model. Because if you don't, after all the liquidity will move, all the, the order flow will move somewhere else where they'll pay you.
0: Mm. Interesting. Okay.
1: So it became, they completely changed the business model of how stock exchanges worked because it used to be that they would sell seats. They they would sell you the right to stand on the floor and then they would sell the the tape, like the ticker tape. Uh, if you've heard of like ticker tape trades, there used to be machines. They would print the stocks uh, and it was called ticker tape and it would just Mm -hmm. print the stock trades and they would sell that. And that would be how exchanges made money. And they didn't make a ton of money. They made good amounts of money, but they didn't make fortunes. Uh, Okay. And then after Island got through, it was like, Oh, well we're going to pay people to put orders on and then we're going to charge them to take them off. People, uh, you know, they, they, it totally changed how stock exchanges made money, which totally changed. And that continues. Uh, and then people we've you know, even experimented later on. People flipped it. They would charge you to put orders on and pay you to take them off. And again, you know, with various experiments. But now paying, uh, paying for order flow became a thing. Uh, okay. you know, and into the modern age where Robin Hood, which you know, offers free stock trading to for small investors, the way they actually make their money is they get paid for their order flow. So you put your order in, they don't charge you, and then they make their money off by selling the rights to basically get that order flow. That's how they make their money.
0: Okay, so what's the, uh, the uh, anecdote for learning that business model helping you? Gosh, it's been so long. So being
1: able to, knowing that that's why we did it and understanding, because first of all, the model makes no sense. If you tell people, oh, our rate is, we will pay you this much for adding flow. And you, you look at that, I don't understand how that works. Mm. Uh But two, it makes it clear why people want to know things as quickly as possible so that they can put more orders in right. or readjust them because you it encouraged you to be faster because if you put in your order second, then you ended up trading and you had to pay. And what you wanted to do was be first and get paid.
0: Got it, okay. Um, and so just
1: understanding that made it, uh, made it clear why things speed became such a compelling uh, differentiator for the system. And so how we became more ever more attractive to fast, more computerized companies.
0: So you basically taught that model to developers and Mm -hmm. once developers got that understanding that wasn't super intuitive to to them to begin with, once they got the understanding in place, they were able to build better products that made more sense.
1: Right. Um, In this case, yeah, the the core developers all understood it, but explaining it to the newer hires about why the system worked the way it did was an important thing because most of them just had no other. Like, I don't understand. You know, I'm working on the billing. Yeah, just tell
0: system. me what to build. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, anecdotally, the billing system was a mess, mm-hmm. and a lot of that was because developers didn't understand the business model and they didn't understand like we're going to pay for this, and then I have to check this to see if the, if I'm billing or crediting for like. It was it was a huge mess, and it wasn't until the you know developers got sat down and explained how that business actually worked that they were able to straighten it
0: out. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Learn your business model. Yeah. Make better decisions. Right.
1: Uh, and if you want extra credit, go talk to the VP of operations and understand how your customer, how value flows through the system. Uh, Cause that would be the, the next course you should give yourself is how does value throw, flow through your software? Mm, that sounds like
0: another good episode actually. Uh,
1: yeah. Episode for another time. Uh, Thanks for listening. I'm Jeffrey Sherman.
0: And I'm Isaac Askew. And this is Never Rewrite.